When Jesus spoke of love, he presented a high standard and demanded that his disciples behave in a way that their con contemporaries not only refused to act, but in a way they could not even comprehend. Matthew 5, beginning with verse 41, And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Again, Matthew 5, verse 41 is what we want to focus on today. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Are you going the second mile for Jesus? The context of Jesus' statement adds breadth and color. James Morrison writes, The word that is translated shall compel to go is of Persian origin and has reference to a postal arrangement that was much admired by the Greek historians. On the great lines of road stations were established where horses and riders were kept for the purpose of carrying forward the royal mails on the principle of relays. The carriers were empowered in cases of emergency to press their service any, into their service any available persons or beasts of burden or other means of transport. The same kind of postal arrangement was adopted by the later Greeks and by the Romans. The power of impressment that cons constituted part of the original system is what is referred to in the word which is employed by our Lord. It would sometimes be exceedingly annoying to private individuals. Can you imagine? You're on a walk, you have plans, you have someplace important to go or no place to go at all, and you're told, no, you have to stop and you have to carry this burden. And no doubt, petty private tyrants, he continues, would in their own petty dominions put in operation the same principle when they had some express to forward on their own accounts. The impressment of such individuals and their officials would be apt to be vexatious. But, says Jesus, do more in such circumstances than is asked of you. The second mile. The world understands to a certain point the power of the second mile. George Bernard Shaw writes, this is the true joy in life, being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, being thoroughly worn out before you are thrown on the scrap heap, being a force of nature instead of a feverish Selfish little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world would not devote itself to making you happy. Tonight, let Jesus' simple message sink in. And whoever compels you to go a mile, go with him too. Zig Ziglar pointed out, one difficulty we never have to worry about if we follow Jesus' teaching. There are no traffic jams on the extra mile. John Stott 
writes, the four many illustrations all apply the principles of Christian non-retaliation and indicate the lengths to which it must go. They are vivid little cameos drawn from different life situations. Each introduces a person who seeks to do us an injury, one by hitting us in the face, another by prosecuting us at law, a third by commandeering our service, and a fourth by begging money from us. The verb translated forces, Persian in origin, was used by Josephus with reference Josephus with reference to the compulsory transportation of military baggage. It can be applied today to any form of service in which we find ourselves conscripts rather than volunteers. In each of the four situations, Jesus says, our Christian duty is so completely to forbear revenge that we even allow the evil person to double the injury. Spurgeon says, we are to be as the anvil when bad men are the hammers. Of course, any idea can be taken to a ridiculous, unintended extreme. Luther describes a man who let the lice nibble at him and refused to kill any of them on account of this text, maintaining that he had to suffer and could not resist evil. Jack Lewis writes, the Roman army in the first century occupied Palestine. A soldier could force a civilian to carry his luggage. The technical term is used in Matthew 27, 32 and parallel passages where Simon of Cyrene is compelled to carry the cross. Should one be subjected to such humiliating service, he should be willing to do more than is demanded. Zur says, the lesson is the same as in the preceding verses that the disciples of Christ should show a willingness to be imposed on rather than waiting to impose on others. Do you get that, brother, sister? Really, though, we see a practical application here of Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 24. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus says if we want to be his disciple, truly his disciple, we must deny ourselves. We must learn to say no to ourselves. Then Jesus explains that following him involves more than rejecting ideas and behaviors, more than saying no. Sometimes we get pretty good at saying no. But discipleship means that we actively engage in behavior that benefits Christ, his kingdom, and others that may at the same time be inconvenient, undesirable, and uncom uncomfortable to me. Notice Jesus says the individual must take up his cross. Thomas Shepard wrote in 1693, must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone. And there's a cross for me. There's a cross with my name on it. One with your name on it. I need to be able to put on my big boy britches, stop the sniveling, whimpering, whining, and complaining, grab my cross with both hands, put it on my back, and walk on if I really want to be his disciple. We tend to look around at others and 
what appears to be their crosses without full information and think, well, look at how easy life is for them. Why can't I trade in my cross for their cross? I could go the extra mile if I was carrying their load. Of course, if we knew just how heavy the other man's burdens actually were, we'd run the other way. It's been my experience, those with the biggest frowns are those with the lightest load. Those who go around with a smile sometimes are the ones I learned later are the ones carrying the heaviest burdens. No, we must bear the cross that belongs to us. And why wouldn't I take up my own cross? Jesus bore his cross after the brutal beating left him mangled and broken and bleeding within an inch of his life from heaven to the womb, to the cross, to a tomb. As huge as that is, Jesus' extra mile involved far, far more than that. Philippians 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. It wasn't too low for Jesus, it's not too low for me. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus didn't just take on the weakness and the filthiness of flesh. He made himself of no reputation and took on the form of a bondservant. How powerful, touching, that Jesus, the King, the Son of God, the Word throughout eternity, did not merely teach about serving others. No, he got down on his knees and washed his disciples' filthy feet, John 13. That's what servants do. They clean up the mess while royalty relaxes. It's an understatement to say Jesus went the second mile, a king and creator stooping to do so menial a task. Now, who would blame Jesus for being preoccupied at this point by the soon coming degrading arrest, unjust trials, merciless beating, and torturous, reprehensible death of the cross. Instead, with great love and humility, Jesus washed the feet of Peter, the one he knew would deny him three times. More than that, he washed the feet, the filthy feet of Judas, the one who conspired with Jesus' enemies to betray him. If Jesus was willing to wash Peter's feet, a man who denied him repeatedly, whose, whose feet am I unwilling to wash? If Jesus was willing to wash Judas' feet, the one the psalmist spoke of prophetically, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Psalm 41, verse 9. If Jesus was not too good, to serve him, what man or woman would it be beneath us to serve? Jesus' example should inspire us to go the second mile for others, but more importantly, for him. Yes, someone says, but that was Jesus. It wasn't just Jesus that walked the second mile. Yes, Jesus was perfect, but the apostle Paul was not. And yet he took up his cross boldly. He knew all about the second mile and the third and beyond. He was repeatedly in prison but kept carrying his cross. Repeatedly beaten in different ways but kept picking up his cross. 
repeatedly at death's door, repeatedly shipwrecked, pelted with stones and left for dead. All of this and more, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28. But he labored on. Still, he wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 through 18, therefore we do not lose heart. We keep that cross. We carry that cross. We keep on walking. We walk the first mile and we walk the second mile. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. That's who wrote it, Paul. Is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. All we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things not seen are eternal. And that's our spirit towards the second mile. We live in a world where everyone is trying to outdo everyone else. We call it the rat race, keeping up with the Joneses. Sometimes we get pulled into that as well. Imagine, though, an entirely different kind of competitive spirit, a kind of competitive spirit that we're actually taught to exhibit, where we outdo each other in being more like Jesus, where we adopt the attitude of humility and service exhibited and expressed by John the Baptist. I must decrease, he must increase. And the Apostle Paul, Romans 12, verse 10 English Standard Version says, outdo one another in showing honor. This kind of competition would foster no arrogance, no conceit, because when it comes to Jesus, John, the Apostle Paul, we see that the way up is down. Jesus says in John 17, 10, so likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Tonight, envision you being a part of a congregation, you being a member of a household in which every member attempted to out-honor, to out-serve, to out-love, to out-lower yourself below everyone else. What if every member of the church attempted to take the lowest place instead of the highest place in the kingdom? The Spirit's message in Galatians 2, verse 20, we've heard it, we're going to hear it over and over this week, is wanted, dead and alive. Dead because we've got to die to the flesh. We've got to die to ourselves, so Christ can give us true life because we've allowed room for Him to live in us. How are you tonight spiritually? Have you died to self? There's an empty spot within each of us outside of Christ. Augustine calls it the God-shaped blank. Everybody feels this emptiness, and people in the world are filling that, trying to fill it up, fill that empty spot with everything out there. You know what it is. Maybe you're doing that. But Jesus, filling yourself up, fill, fill, fill. You'll never get enough. You'll never be satisfied because only God can fill that empty space. Stop imitating the world and their foolish attempts. You know better. Let Jesus in tonight. Open up your heart to Jesus. He can save you. He can heal you. If you're not a Christian tonight, 
You know Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Surely you know that. Because of that, aren't you willing to put it all behind you? Repentance really is all about dying to self, putting self, the flesh, on the cross. Repent of your sins. Confess Christ. Don't be ashamed of him or he'll be ashamed of you and be immersed in water. Acts 2 verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants, you, wants that for you tonight. Don't you want it for yourself? He gave his everything for you. Give everything to him. If you're not a Christian, won't you become one tonight? If you straight away, won't you come home while we stand and while we sing?